Hey people, welcome to Accidental Gods, to the podcast where we believe that another world is still possible and that together we can make it happen. I'm Manda Scott, your host at this place on the web where art meets activism, politics meets philosophy, and science meets spirituality, all in the service of conscious evolution and increasingly in finding a way through to a future that we would be proud to leave to the generations that come after us. My guest this week is someone whose work embodies all of the ways that we might move forward to that future we would be proud to leave behind. Phoebe Tickell is a friend of the podcast. She was with us way back in episode 31, near the start of the first lockdown in the early stages of the pandemic, when we spoke about the ways that we might embody the change we need to see in the world, what was warm data and how could we use it, and how could we find ways to change who we were before we even had the words to describe it. Since then, Phoebe has been a powerhouse of activism and action. She set up Moral Imaginations, an organisation which is helping to bring about an ecological society of the future using imagination-powered change. And if you haven't watched her video on that, I will post it in the show notes. She's setting up Renaissance U, a digital-first, better-than-free university teaching course about regenerative leadership. Last winter, she led a thousand people at the Emerge Conference in Germany through a moral imagination journey and then was invited to talk to 4,000 people at an Inner Development Goals conference in Sweden. In between, she finds time to write blogs, talk to the BBC, and to come and talk to us. There is always so much to explore with Phoebe, and the terrain of the conversation is always impossible to map out when we start, and glorious when we look back on it. So I love this, and hope you do too. People of the podcast, please welcome Phoebe Tickell. So Phoebe Tickell, welcome once again to the Accidental Gods podcast. It is such a pleasure to meet you and to talk with you and to find all the extraordinary, inspiring things that you've been doing. So welcome. How are you and where are you at the moment? Thank you, Amanda. It's so good to be back. Um, I really loved our last conversation. So I'm I'm logging back onto this one with a lot of excitement and and warmth and a feeling of picking up threads from before. Um, I'm calling from London and I am well. I feel very focused and very productive at the moment, which is which is great, although you know productive is a an industrial metaphor. So I do catch myself entering that kind of thinking of yeah, produce, 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 but a lot is going on and I'm just staying in that in that focus right now. Brilliant. And you're coming on to Thrutopia in a couple of weeks' time. So I really would like this podcast to be open to everyone who listens to the podcast, but also to provide a bit of a grounding for the people in Thrutopia. I love the idea that productive is is industrial because I spend my life trying to be productive. And it, there is something I would like to explore later on about the tensions of existing in predatory capitalism, where we still have to pay bills with actual money, mm. and yet wanting to shift it and change it. And how do we change it from within when we know that no problem is solved from the mindset that created it? But just before we head into that, you had just been to Sweden, which is why I asked where you were. Because I saw on Instagram, you were speaking in front of 4,000 people, which sounded 
totally fascinating. And it, I think, is quite relevant to what we're doing now. So tell us a little bit about Sweden, including the makeup. <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was a conference called the Inner Development Goals Conference. Um, and that's a group based in Sweden that has uh, created a set of, of goals that are modeled around the sustainable development goals, which are 17 goals around sustainability, um, sort of siloed goals like pollution and education and, um, you know, clean water. And obviously they, they will overlap quite a lot. Um, but I think they, they were created by the UN to kind of help garner kind of common ground and shared missions and goals around, you know, what, what would we need to achieve to, to achieve like full sustainability. And so the inner development goals flip that, you know, turn that inside out and say, well, what are the goals that we need to achieve internally to, you know, achieve sustainability by 2030? So this was the summit um, for the inner development goals. And I was invited after having uh, run a big collective imagination exercise at a conference called Emerge in Berlin in November. And right. the director of the Inner Development Goals was there for that and basically had tears streaming down his face after the exercise and came up to me and said, look, put the 29th of April in your calendar. We're doing you know, this big conference. It'll be like 1,000 people in Stockholm. And I just thought, okay, I sure. <laughs> no idea what, <laughs> what this is about. So I put it in my calendar and then, you know, three months before um, the event received all the information and it was actually happening and going ahead. Wow. And it was a thousand people in person, but 3000 online. So that was where oh. the, the numbers um, came from. So that was yeah a pretty huge, I guess, milestone in this journey of the work I'm doing with imagination. Can you tell us a little bit about what you were doing there? Yes. So I opened by introducing the concept of imagination activism. So I walked on the stage and said, hi, I'm Phoebe. I'm an imagination activist. And then this image came up on this huge, huge screen. I've never, you know, the stage itself was very intimidating. It was this massive stage, massive screen, lots of very bright lights. It's funny because I've done so much public speaking, but, you know, obviously over COVID, so much of it has been online. Mm. And so there's the the shift from doing in person, which I'm still getting used to because yeah. I literally showed up in Stockholm having not written my script because I was just like so used to this thing of being on Zoom and you can have your script kind of there. And, it, and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? So day before... Um, luckily I just needed to, to write the kind of first seven minutes or so. And then the rest was, um, you know, piecing together exercises and tweaking them and, and adapting them to that moment. But it was a bit of a wake up call, um, that we're going back to doing these in-person events now and you can't do the same thing as you do on zoom. Yeah. yeah so that was, you said to talk about the makeup room. So tell us, tell us, yes, tell us about the makeup room, but then I want to know what an imagination activist is. Tell us about the makeup room, because that's... The makeup room is clearly the, the most important part of all of this. It was just a very funny experience, like showing up in this little backstage room and being told, basically having somebody paint over my makeup with much stronger 
much stronger makeup. Just really quite funny um, experience. It sounds terrifying, frankly, but that's, I think, because I, I have never used makeup. I've got no idea what to do with it. So the <laughs> idea that somebody might approach me with stuff would be would be horrible. I just thought of it as face painting. I was like, this is there you fun. Go. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Well yeah. done. You're so good at reframing. Tell <laughs> us what an imagination activist is. So imagination activists are people who can agitate the collective consciousness through providing reframes, through opening portals to different realities, to, to exactly as you say, these reframes, these moments of shifting out of the, the default way of seeing and perceiving. Um, I think it, it's also you know, involves painting, inspiring and, and different futures, perhaps also dystopian futures in order to help us orient in the present. But really, it's about this ability to, to shake up the way that we are seeing and imagining and thinking. Um, the current kind of working description is an imagination activist, is an activist fueled by imagination and vision and equipped with the tools to build new systems to save our planet. Right. Right. So the equipped with the tools is what sets you apart from people who just space out and have other ideas. True. Yeah, that's a really key part. It's the imagination to implementation or the imagination to legislation. You know, we've been playing with these different memes of how do you embed imagination? You know, it's not enough just to imagine and dream the future. How do you actually create that bridge into the systems that we're building. Right. So I would really like to talk about the bridge. But just before we get there, a question about this whole conference, the inner development goals, and you said we're aiming for sustainability by 2030. Is this planetary sustainability or internal sustainability or Swedish sustainability? What scale are they looking at? I think for the sustainable development goals, it's planetary sustainability. So it was... It, yes, it definitely yeah. is. But what about the inner sustainability goals? Then the same. The, the conference. So it's about. really, yeah, and it's really connected to the SDGs. So they're saying, you know, right. the SDGs are trying to achieve this. You cannot achieve that without the inner work. Right. Yes, totally. Okay. If an imagination activist is equipped with the tools to bridge, how do they acquire those tools? That's a great question. So the tools to bridge in my eyes, are the tools to, are learning the tools that exist in these different futures that we imagine. So if we're talking about living in a world that is equi equitable, um, you know, where people are considered equals with, with, you know, with each other and with non-human beings, you know, what does that actually look like in terms of laws today, in terms of organizational structures? How does that look like, you know, in the way that we're living day to day? Um, and when it comes to digital tools, you know, when we're talking about these big visions of the future, what I've mapped out so far is how do you translate visions of the future to values? Like, how do you really move from a sense of where you, we want to go to a sense of what is important to me. That's one of the first jumps that's really key okay. in moral imaginations when we talk about. And then from those values, how do you jump from these are the values that are central to me, these are the principles, these are the things that are important to me, how do we then create a world that actually prioritizes those things and protects them and stewards them and safeguards them? For the future generations. And presumably somewhere along the line, it has to be not just the values that I value, but the values that the collective values. So 
two questions. One is, presumably this is collective values. It's not just my values. I don't want to impose my values on everyone, but I would like to have a voice in the crowdsourcing of a collective set of values. That said, I'm aware that my values could probably evolve and that potentially either in the process of crowdsourcing collective values or in some adjacent process, I could evolve to a different set of values and that potentially, and I'm thinking on the fly here, and this may be total rubbish and please feel free to say so, we need to help people to get to a core set of in a way, transcendent, transformative values, not just the he who dies with the most toys wins values that we have at the moment, and then bring all of those together in a collective movement, which means inspiring a lot of people who will never, frankly, listen to a podcast like this and reaching them in ways that that begin that process. So actually, there's quite a lot of questions there. So how do we do that? <laughs> There's a lot there, and but I completely resonate with what you're saying. The transcendent values, the moving, that is the process, the kind of moving from I to thou, which um, I think Peter Block talks about. You know, how do we actually access that higher sense of, of why am I here on this planet? What is mine to do? That those bigger questions that allow us to tap into some sort of higher, more transcendent or you know, I, I often talk about deeper because I have a bit of a, a, a um, resistance to the transcendental mm, yeah, okay. movement of kind of leaving the earth and, you know, getting in the yeah. rocket ship, going yes. to Mars. It's like all of it kind of layers on top of each other. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to see how those memes, you know, Christianity and there's so many memes that sort of sandwich up on top of each other to get us to that Elon Musk go to Mars situation. Um but how do we, you know, how do we deepen um, or, you know, whatever your metaphor is, there is a way of tapping into a set of values that is coming from a sense of, of what's important for the whole. So there's, you know, it's interesting we start talking about collective imagination and imagining alone. I would argue that it's, it's basically impossible to ever imagine totally alone mm. because our imaginations are not independent. There is no kind of inner world that is separate from each other, from, from the world outside, from our memories, from all of the things that are constantly, from the bacteria in our guts, you know. So even the idea of, of a solo independent imagination is a construct. Yeah. So I think there is, you know, but then you, you start to move into the territory of like collective consciousness and things that start to feel a little bit unrigorous or um you know lacking difficult to pin down difficult to pin down exactly um so i think i stick to the idea that actually our imaginations are just not independent and this is also one of the topics that's coming up around the inner development goals is actually what does it mean what is the inner world you know and we all we all acknowledge that there is an inner there is an outer there is um, something that's more tangible, you know, that's a different way of describing it that for me feels a little bit more like a useful metaphor here of like the tangible and the intangible. But as soon as we start talking about inner and outer, it sets up a, a construct where there's some sort of boundary between ourselves and the outside world. Mm. Um, but then at the same time, we can all acknowledge that there is a lot going on, you know, behind these eyes, behind the things I'm saying, there's a whole awareness that's happening. And that is, in a sense, inner, and yet it's also shared, and it's also not independent. So anyway, that 
Yeah, I would love to unpick that, but I think that's probably a, a rabbit hole that would not interest the listeners too much. Just, just very slightly. So I just this last weekend was teaching my last ever foundation dreaming course because I'm handing over teaching to my very wonderful apprentice. Um, and we talk about consensus reality and all the other realities because it seems to me that tangible and intangible, the intangible becomes tangible if we allow ourselves to go there. That as soon as we enter whatever we might call the shamanic realities, and listeners, you just have to accept that this is a thing that is reproducible and relatively consistent, then people's perceptions of what is tangible and what is not tangible change markedly. And and part of the work of a weekend, which is an incredibly short time span, is to get people fit at the end to go back into consensus reality without really breaking apart. So... I'm really interested in the processes you're undertaking in Sweden and with the Emerge when you're doing a thousand people in a collective imagination. How do you and they step out into presumably a, a, a future that we'd all want and then come back into this reality? Is there is there a, a jarring and a disjunct that you have to manage as the leader of that? Definitely. And that is something within the workshops of the smaller groups that I work with, with communities and organizations and, and other kind of mixed groups, it's something that's more pronounced because we're usually working in a deeper way. The sessions are longer. The session in Sweden was just 25 minutes total. Right. So that was the right. real magic trick there. You know, and that's what everybody commented on afterwards was like, how did you do that? You know, 18 minutes, like, right. how do we go all the way there and then come back? And it was so short. And that was the that's what I was mulling over in the weeks before the session it was like how to do that journey and to go to a place beyond space and time and then to come back. Yeah. Um, and I think the way to do that is through continual connection with the audience and, and a sort of, you know, you're taking people on a journey and it's really, I guess it's the same as like a, a pilot on a plane. You know, you're you're landing the, the airplane afterwards. Um, but but hopefully you're not doing that alone because it, I mean, at least for me, whenever I'm doing this work, there's a sense of such togetherness. You know, even though I'm on this stage and there's a thousand people out there, I feel as if we're in a very intimate uh conversation, you know, and there's laughing, there's tears, there's connection there's a lot going on um but there's a feeling of the whole there's a feeling of holding the whole yeah um and that they're holding the whole with me so it's not just me holding that and so then when we when we kind of return from that you know there's a lot of ways to start preparing that journey back you know you don't suddenly say and it's over yeah okay good <laughs> okay i'm understanding the process more there's a gentleness and at the end of it, do you have a thousand or potentially four thousand people who feel then as if they are in community? Have, have they got a baseline and a shared set of narratives and a shared set of purposes from which they can then build? It's a great question. I think they do have a sense of being in community, um, but there isn't, you know, a sense of a shared one consciousness of like we all you know we've all thought of the same thing and we're all kind of starting on the same baseline mm. I think though that there are there is a shared 
if you then mixed everyone around, you know, because they're in little groups or they're in pairs, if you mixed everyone around completely, I think they would be sh- starting from a, a shared place that was not there before. Okay. So this is a self-selecting group of people who presumably have paid to be there. Yeah. Are they then, are you seeing them as seeds who got out into their communities and are able to build something similar in a group of people who haven't self-selected to be here? I, I have a mission to reach all the people who wouldn't self-select, but we did have somebody on last night's call who is in Hollywood who, if I understood him correctly, was saying there is nobody in Hollywood who's going to entertain your ideas of difference because they're all locked in. Let's make another Marvel movie because that's how we make enough money. So I'm really curious as to how you see us disseminating this. That is what I am working on now. That is, you know, that's not going to happen in an 18 minute session that's really more like a taster and a almost like a, a, a small psychedelic experience a non-drug-induced psychedelic experience that could maybe be a wake-up moment for people a, a moment of connection with a, a part of themselves they haven't connected with before but I that is absolutely the work you know for me that's the bit where everything gets very exciting is how can we equip people to be able to run this sort of work with their communities and to be able to be those faith keepers and inspire, you know, people who are inspiring, but not just what, what people fed back to me after that session. And what I hear a lot is like the thing that people really love about this work is that it's not positive utopian. It's not just, it's not that, but it is deeply hopeful and inspiring, but it's not doing that from a place of denying the grief and the pain and the darkness. And actually that's, that's what I think is the only, the only way that we can be authentically and responsibly inspiring is really holding all of it um, and allowing people to process, you know, it's, it's a, it's sense-making, it's meaning-making and all of that is necessary to be able to, um, to authentically be an imagination activist, to be able to help, you know, really have that full force of imagination and inspiration and hope without being a salesperson or a kind of false prophet. Um, so I think that's a very important part of this, but I, I'm exactly excited about how to equip people. What does that take? Is that, you know, how long is that process? How to take what I have created and and learned in my last you know thirty years, and how to package that into a form that other people can can um, you know take on and also make their own. You know, because this has to become mm. viral, so it's got to be something that people can also make their own. Yes, yes, but it has to also, I think, become resonant because. Yes. Uh, we had an interesting conversation last night about the difference between viral virality and resonance and that virality has a tendency to spread by promoting outrage mm. and resonance spreads, I think, more, it's a kind of serotonin oxytocin level, but it might not get as far or go as fast, but it will be deeper. Mm. No, it's very helpful. It's a very helpful metaphor shift. Thank Natalie Nahai of the Hive podcast. Oh, I'm going to be doing a, a- interview with Natalie. Yeah, there you go. She's very insightful. That was, yes, she's one of our facilitators and also going to be one of our speakers. Wonderful. Yeah. So taking all of that, I'd like to take a slight step sideways because 
I have been reading Solarpunk since our last conversation, and you said, but hey, Solarpunk, and become quite intrigued by it, but still, the Solarpunk that I have read has all had a, a jump cut between where I feel the world is now and where whatever the narrative is starts off. There's either been some amazing technological development or a social switch flipped such that everyone is, or at least the majority of people who are now cooperative and decent and full of integrity and shared purpose. And yet, I remember you saying that there are people living solarpunk realities right now. So there is there is that possibility. So tell us what solarpunk is, because most people listening will have no clue. And then let's explore that a little bit more. What a great prompt. Solarpunk is so exciting. I find it so exciting. So it, it I actually um, started writing a blog post last night, which is titled Falling Back in Love with Solarpunk because I had fallen quite out of love with Solarpunk for the last maybe like six months. Um, you know, I've been seeing a lot of co-option of Solarpunk with eco-modernism um, and, and kind of eco-brutalism and greenwashing and techno-utopianism. Um, and I found you know, set of videos and articles that I was reading that really, that I can put in the, in the show notes that really re-sparked the original reason I got so excited about Solarpunk. Um, and one of these videos had a quote, which was, I believe, Solarpunk without like the end of capitalism is just greenwashed cyberpunk. Right. Yes. And so that was just really regenerated my passion and excitement for solar punk because it at its core the reason i i came to solar punk was because my first ever blog um just my name.com it used to be humans nature tech so it was this huh. this braid of how do you bring these things together like i was a scientist i loved spending time in nature it was very clear to me that you know nature is us is our savior in a way like that's where redemption and regeneration lies but at the same time with this highly technological species and to deny that is to deny uh, you know our left arm you know it's like saying mm. it, it's trying to cut something off that is inherently also human and so the the whole movement that yes. i was finding in you know rural california and these places that i was traveling of like no let's go back to the land it's like why would we go back when, you know, that it's inherently part of us. There's an integration needed. And I'm always interested in integration. How do we integrate what is going on and then move forward into another state of complexity that in integrates all of those things? So how do we integrate social justice, racial justice, intergenerational justice, um, interspecies justice with technology, both high tech and low tech and whatever appropriate tech, like what is the right yeah. technology that is needed to meet the needs of this situation while creating the least harm possible? In fact, instead of the least harm, creating the most regeneration yes. and good. Yes. Um, and then on top, and then the last bit of, of protecting, stewarding and regenerating nature. And I just got so excited because I felt as if it was like finally a narrative that was integrating all of the parts of my myself. So my own integration was being found in this narrative integration, this person who, who has a background in technology and science and even genetic engineering, you know, in my, in my um, undergrad and the first years of research I did at Imperial College London, and then to have people react so strongly, 
you know, at, at that. But at the same time, continue to use, you know, Mac books that are created with minerals that are mined. You know, it's just, it's like, yeah. how do we integrate rather than reject? Yes. And how do we integrate and move forward to something different? So how do we yes. do that? What is Solarpunk <laughs> giving you that lets you see a path forward? So for listeners who are, you know, who are listening and just thinking, what on earth is Solarpunk? Solarpunk is born from something called cyberpunk. And cyberpunk is a subgenre of science fiction in a dystopian and futuristic setting that tends to focus on a combination of low life and high tech. <laughs> so featuring very futuristic technological and scientific achievements like AI and cybernetics, most often juxtaposed with like societal decay, collapse. Um, you know, you'll recognize cyberpunk from, from films and, and books like Blade Runner um, and, and other kind of cyberpunk fiction that you can look up. And so solarpunk basically reacted to that as a utopian alternatives and, and actually maybe protopian would be a better term rather than utopian because utopian is often um, a sense of like this, this un, uh, unreachable, unattainable kind of good life. Mm. Whereas protopia is a very relevant term for the throughtopia masterclass. It's a state that's better than today. It, it's better than today and better than yesterday, but it's only a little bit better. Okay. So, and, and actually people often say that protopia is quite hard to visualize because it's, it's still got many of the problems. Yeah. It's even got new problems and it's got new benefits. So it's, it's, it's much more complex than utopia. That's just like, Right. Oh yeah, it's going to be great. It's like actually, it's going to be a bit better than today, but still lots of problems and even more problems, but also new benefits. Yeah, and presumably a sense that the trajectory is towards something that we would be proud to leave to our kids, which is our throughtopian concept. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. So, pro exactly, throughtopia is almost like a set of um, protopias, like staggered protopias that lead you to a collective I, I, I still struggle with the word utopia because it mm. feels so monochrome it's like a pluralistic situation that is acceptable to as many people as possible is what I think is like a realistic yeah um yeah <laughs> what do you think of that I don't know I don't know it's an interesting thought I think what I long for that sense of yearning is to have a vision of a future where everybody wakes up with a sense of confidence that they are in the right place at the right time, they can connect to the web of life, mm -hmm. ask what do you want of me and respond in real time. Mm -hmm. So that humanity is fully integrated in what seems to me to be a much greater consciousness. And playing a part with our technology and our capacity to, I don't know, dig holes in the ground or move rocks or whatever is needed. And I don't know that that has a name yet. Mm -hmm. And it would need to be shared by the wide majority of people. And it may be that I am, you know, one of a small handful who thinks this is a good idea. I do think it's the only way we get through. Yeah. Because if we don't actually start regenerating the world, then we are going to be breathing 9% oxygen quite fast, which isn't mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know. I get a bit stuck. I never did languages like my beloved partners. So when somebody last night talk, started talking about... Um, I don't know, neo-modernism or something. And mm -hmm. I, have, I have no clue what that is, nor am I particularly interested in losing bandwidth to find out. I just want to write the stuff that works 
but that feels, yeah. I, I think it is important to me that the trajectory feels as if it's somewhere we will all want to go, mm-hmm. all of us. Mm-hmm. And it has to be not just Guardian reading. You know, exactly. That's, nice, slightly left-wing progressive people. I'm desperate to have those conversations with as many people outside of this tiny bubble. And yeah. unfortunately, the tiny bubble is often saying, you know, we need to be more inclusive. We need more voices mm. in the room, but not those voices. But not yours. And not those voices exactly. and not these voices. Yes. And it's yes. like... wow there's so much work to do on that but it's so exciting like it's it is the work um if we actually want collective imagination collective intelligence collective if we want to steer this ship in a way that is not being steered by the kind of leaders that we have steering today like if if there is going to be this citizen movement you know as john alexander talks about and using deliberative democracy and all of these other collective tools like there's so much talk of that on the progressive left and so little practice of the doing the actual diverse cross yes you know transpartisan work and so much react you know so much reaction and and that's where i think our biggest work lies is actually doing that person you know the inner work the personal work the work around triggers and tr- and personal traumas which actually you know is at the core of this reactionary divisive othering um there's been so much research around this and you know mm. larger us is a great organization to have a look at who's done a lot or braver angels doing a lot as well yeah and george marshall doing huge amounts on the on the language but but even so i was at schumacher when george marshall talked to us all about work he'd done in alberta with the tar sands and he'd invited people in and he'd had a town hall and he'd got them to say what it was they were proud about about being albertans and it was all about providing the power for the world and we work hard and we're independent and he had transformed that to yes we are proud transformative albertans and the world depends on us for its power but we have loads of sun and wind and water and it's not really healthy for us to be completely dependent on the fossil fuel companies because if they go down we go down with them and wouldn't it be good if we were proud independent Albertans working in other ways and it sounded to me then I listened to that and thought god yes that's that surely that resonates and it has made as far as I can tell no difference whatsoever so the theory and I get really excited by that and think yes yes change is happening Mm. and actually you know the opposite everything you know the divisions have got more and and the bulwarks have got higher and Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in how you think we connect with people for whom connection with others outside their tribe is probably not a priority currently that's a huge question I mean that's like a podcast episode in itself but let's do it we just need to find the time (laughs) I think you have to open the conversation about the things that matter. You know, there have to be things on the table that everybody agrees matter and they care about and and pulls people out of that, you know, logical, left brain, argumentative way of thinking. And actually, what are the deep, what is the deeper conversation here? What do we all hear a common goal? Like what happens in a crisis where people really mobilize around a common goal, no matter what their you know position or political standing. Which is why the right is so clever in creating the crises that unite people around a common goal. Mm-hmm. Putin might be about to launch a nuclear war. Okay, let's all you know, forget about progressive values and do what you want us to do. Mm. Does solar punk reach into any 
parts beyond the progressive left, or is it a progressive left thing? It does. How, how does it do that? So it's very. It has a very strong libertarian kind of thread of solar punk. You know, becoming independent, self reliant. So there's an inter- there are interesting kind of different strands of solar punk, which I also find very interesting. You know, the the kind of getting independent from the state um, narrative, but still within community. Because everything that I've understood so far is that that our way forward is communitarian. Yeah. Well, solar punk has community baked in. Like community has is is like a deep part of the solar punk movement, and I think that's why it's interesting. Because you know, it's like you come for the self reliance and you stay for the community. Like you might get kind of green pilled right. by the solar punk idea of like becoming a hundred percent independent and and like cut off from everyone else. And then once you're there, you realize actually the really core part of this is community i mean we have to we have to wait and see because solarpunk is right at, at the beginning of its slow momentum it's been growing since you know early 2000s i came across it in around 2014 um and now you know how many years later eight years later just been interviewed by the bbc on solarpunk so it's like this is a very slow cultural okay but thing. the BBC's got it. Yeah. It's hitting the mainstream. Yeah, it's happening. It's happening. So, And you were talking about, just before we end, a community near Heathrow that is a solar punk community. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that as we close? Because it sounded fascinating. Yeah. So that community is called Grow Heathrow. And I came across them um, during the years that I was working on fossil free, divest- so fossil fuel divestment at um, the universities of London. So I started the Imperial College divest movement. and so. Uh, Grow Heathrow is a grassroots community that was created in resistance to the new runway at Heathrow, where like 20 people just started living in the place where, <laughs> where this new runway was meant to be built. Um, and they've had, you know, the police show up periodically, but they've they've embedded themselves really deeply into the community there. They run loads of community events. They have a free bicycle repair shop, and they all live in tree houses and they they um, heat water through using like old radiators and like uh, and solar power and and they're using all of this like hodgepodge together like new technology old technology permaculture I mean it's a really interesting place if you go and visit you know they've got Mm. they've they've created a lot of like decentralized community governance um, how they share tasks how they keep things going shared um, childcare and and like kitchen rotors and drying herbs and it's just it's an interesting place to step into as as like a post apocalyptic grassroots community. And what makes this a solar punk community when it sounds to me like quite similar to quite a lot of the other communities that have been trying to stop fracking or HS two or any of those things? I think those are the those for us are the tastes of solar punk tomorrow. Like I think that is at least if we're talking about protopias, like how, what does it look like to step out of individual, you know, living in houses into working on the land, living in community and still using technology. And like the next step would be bringing, you know, the kind of smart, there's a bit of a movement around smart villages, which again, you know, if it's AI and if it's blockchain based, if it's, if it's technology that is still, operating on a kind of monopolistic capitalist paradigm that's not solar punk so i don't think any really good examples of solar punk 
inaction exist, but I think that's also because there are so many dependencies on the current system. And it's it's kind of the more experiments we can have, the more we can start to iterate through, you know, snipping those ties to the current system. And obviously there's so much work going on around new economies and permaculture, regenerative agriculture, you know, all of the inspiral, yeah. decentralized leadership stuff that I used to yes. be in. So there's there's a lot going on. Um, but I'd love to see like the world's first, you know, trying to be truly solar punk community or 90% solar punk. You know, here are all the solar punk values and the the technologies and the things we promise not to do and the things that we're trying to wean ourselves off. Like that would be very interesting. So um, I made a list of these actually for a solar punk talk I did recently. So I'm just getting that up. Some of the solar punk values that I've got listed here are mutualism, pluralism, interdependence, uh, commons, a kind of commons mindset, non-extractivism, cooperative models, um, well-being first, you know, stewardship over ownership, regeneration over conservation, uh, collective over individual, although I would map all of these as tensions, but you know, moving closer to the collective over the individual, um, the tension around like local and global, and then also this interplanetary, you know, tension for some people in solar punk, that's a whole debate and discussion, um, but how to be operating in that local bioregional context and connecting to the global and then decentralized and centralized, especially around kind of energy and microgrids. And that's a, that's a big theme as well in, in solar punk discussions. And then the tension of, you know, lengthening the time perspective to future generations and not just current generations and also interspecies over anthropocentrism is another really core tension and, and kind of value in, in solar okay. punk. And I can also just attach an image I made where I've got kind of three columns of humans, nature and technology, and then like lists of different practices like agroforestry and forest schools, land-based living, data governance, participation, citizen assemblies, community infrastructure, renewable energy, yes. personalized medicine, yes. um, you know, technology assisted learning. And how we make the switch from the current system to that system without ending up in jail. Mm. Because just particularly in Britain, for those listening from other nations, but a lot of what you said feels to me we have to either find legal sidesteps or we have to just ignore the current legal system. And that means enough people, because a legal system is only there by consensus, but enough people have to stop consenting for the new system to come on board. And mm. that that step strikes me as really, really interesting. How do we step out of mm -hmm. predatory capitalism into this solar punk world and, and what happens at the interface when the two meet? Mm -hmm. Because if there are very small numbers of solar punk, it's going to get messy and not good. Well, that just to say that that, that paints solar punk as a, a very like dissident, dissident thing and I think there are ways Feels like <laughs> there are ways to you know I know Canticle Farm is a great example of a community in Oakland in California that is basically living a solar punk existence but within you know almost like a kind of island of of sanity within the system and finding those ways to interface you know to be right they must own the land though they haven't just 
occupied it. No, you're right. They they own it. They've raised the funds to buy yeah. buy the land. Definitely, and maybe that's part of the project is to actually map out what are the the kind of dependencies that need to be mapped out. Map out the bioregions and and just pick some and sort them. Maybe that's the way yeah. forward. To be discussed. Of course, this conversation could be so fruitful. Yes, yes, definitely. We will continue at another point. But and in our session. For now, we need the to stop. The session. Yeah. Definitely. Can't wait to meet everybody. Definitely. And I hope, if you've been listening, hope this is a good introduction and we'll continue. Fantastic. Phoebe Tickell, with all that you're doing, thank you so much for taking the time out to come on to Accidental Gods. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. It was really, really good to be here. And that's it for another week. Enormous thanks to Phoebe for the depth of her thinking and the quality of her capacity to express everything that she encompasses. With Phoebe, I always feel that we're getting to the edge places that we need to explore if we're going to expand the boundaries of what we know and what we can do. And I am so looking forward to a second part of this conversation. In the meantime, if you want to follow her on social media, certainly on Twitter, she's at solarpunk underscore girl. And I think she's the same on Instagram, although I never go there, so I can't be sure. But whatever you do, however you follow her, know that you will be stimulated and challenged and your thinking will be led into new places, which is what we need if we're going to change the world. So thank you, Phoebe. We will be back next week with another conversation. And meanwhile, enormous thanks as ever to Caro C for the music at the head and foot and for the sound production. Thanks to Faith Tillery for the website, for picking up all of the slack on Throughtopia, and for the endless generative conversations that keep us both going. Thanks to Anne Thomas and Jill Coombs for the transcripts, and as ever, enormous thanks to you for listening. We just would not be here without you. And if you know of anybody else who wants to be part of this generative, inspiring, sparky, dance of weaving our way to a better future, then please do send them this link. And that's it for now. See you next week. Thank you and goodbye.